Yes, sir, and yes, ma'am. You had better wake them up, get them up, get them going. It is a Thursday on Hook Em Up with Ian Rod B. We are three days to the Super Bowl. We will certainly uh, talk about all things Super Bowl 58 in Las Vegas. Chiefs Niners fast approaching. Uh, we'll dive in head first for sure. Also, uh, Steve Sarkeesian on National Signing Day yesterday. Nobody, no new signings to announce, but certainly a lot to talk about. Sark's wax poetic for about 45 minutes on the state of his program and where they're headed. We'll certainly dive in there as well as the Longhorns head off into the uh, winter workouts, into spring practice and beyond. We'll talk plenty of college football. Nick Saban has new gainful employment. That's a good thing. We were worried about the uh, 73-year-old coach, but he has a new gig. We'll tell you about that. Cowboys in search of a new defensive coordinator. NBA's trade deadline is this afternoon. And we've got a lot to do. It's going to be a fun one. We appreciate you being there. Ever you find us on a morning-by-morning morning basis, could be on 1019 FM, could be AM 1260. And, of course, we're always streaming for you digitally on our Horn app, which is so easy to download to your smartphone. Then a touch of a button, and you've got it locked in. Crystal clear digital quality every single morning, every single day, all day here on the Horn. Appreciate you doing that. Also uh, at hornfm.com. And look who it is. He's made his way into the South Austin Onion Creek Studios, cross town, and ready to roll. He is our shutdown corner out of the 713 down in uh, Houston, Texas. DB High there uh, coming out on his way to the 40 Acres and uh, DBU. Uh, right here in the 512, a lifetime Longhorn for sure. Four years in the NFL, now 16 great years doing media throughout Austin and all over the uh, the great state. He is our our man, Black Stradamus, the football theorist, the proud papa of Baby Monroe. Good morning, Rod Babers. Uh, doing great. Thanks for the intro, as always, and the hospitality. Uh, also, uh, appreciate my man Patrick uh, stepping in today. Yeah, Patrick Davis from Patrick the uh, Sports Complex. The real MVP, man. Yeah, we're down to our, uh, our oh, third man. pinch hitter now because, yeah. uh, of course, Ty Henderson, we've talked about our producer, is on a trip with his uh, girlfriend yeah. to, meet, to meet the parents. Mm-hmm. It's important. Uh, meet the Fockers, as they say. You never know how that will <laughs> I go. I hope it works out a little bit better than <laughs> yeah. most of that movie did. Yeah. But, uh, you're right about that. So. Yeah, uh, and then our, our man Brock has uh, another Had a family obligation. So, so. so Patrick is jumping in here. Thank you, Patrick. We appreciate you, man, because we know it's going to be a hard day pulling double duty for you. Uh, so we appreciate that. We want to throw that out there first and foremost. Uh, but also we do it every morning, each and every morning. We're proud to do so. Shout out to those who serve. Our society built on the selflessness of service. So all those out there who are serving in any capacity, God, country, or community, we know it's an honor, but also a bit of a burden. So we appreciate you can't say thank you enough to the first responders, the teachers, nurses, uh, all those professions and people. Can't mention them all, but just want you to know that you are top of mind and uh, on our hearts each and every morning. Yeah, no quitting. And speaking of serving, our man Patrick Davis serving us this morning. We Sir. appreciate that for sure. Good day, though. It's the NBA's trade deadline, 2 o'clock it's today. A great so, day to have Patrick Davis yeah, on. Man, yeah, man. Any day would be great, but uh, uh, today for sure because uh, a lot of trades could go down. Patrick, as you uh, you know, figure out this early morning thing, are you, uh, you going to be keeping your eyes on the wire for us? Do you expect any big names to be moved to Day before two o'clock. Yeah, I know you brought me in to talk about Xavier Tillman to the Celtics and Monty <laughs> Morris to the Timberwolves. Those big trades. I don't. I, I think I think Pascal Siakam and OG Ananubi were probably the biggest trades we were going to see. But you never know because there are already a lot of teams that want it, especially the 76ers right now uh, with the Embiid injury. They want to stay in the hunt because they feel he can be back for the playoffs. So they may try and go big, and Daryl Morey can go big sometimes. He can't. Daryl Morey, oh, yeah, uh, former Rockets him, GM, of That's course, true. and president, he can make a move. And you have him beat out a month with that uh, knee, and they got beat again last night by Golden State. So uh, they don't want to sink too far in the Eastern Conference without a doubt. So Patrick will be uh, uh, mining and watching the, uh, the, the trade ticker before 2 o'clock today for sure as we roll into our five-hour conversation this morning. Also have a lot of Coach Sark to talk about, and we'll get to our top headlines here in a moment. M- m- moment. Um, weren't a lot of sports on Rod last night. You know what I watched last night? Oh, no. Uh, and I highly recommend it. Good TV on the, the did the Netflix thing. Oh, good. There you go. Uh, have you seen this this Netflix uh, documentary called The Greatest Night in Pop? No, Patrick. Have you seen this? I have not. It is uh, highly recommended. By the way, if okay. you have not, uh, and if you're or if you're a child of the '80s like I was, and really I think anybody will love this. It's a film about the creation of the uh, the We Are the World song from oh. 1985. I've had several documentaries about that. And this one was unbelievably behind the scenes. You want to talk about, like, I mean, you learn so much, and it's just it's fascinating because I did not know that, that that song was recorded in one night after the American Music Awards. So because they already had a lot of the – Yeah, uh, they got together. They were it's hard to get all of them together. So, Impossible. Yeah. Great point. And so they – so, but the cameras are behind the scenes for the whole night. So they recorded this thing from like 11 o'clock at night until like 6 in the morning. 
And they just got access to this footage or whatever? Or yeah, got, I guess they've had yeah. it. I don't know. And, and, I mean, you learn. It is such a case study. Uh, after I saw, I watched it, I was texting with our friend Craig Flowers, the colonel, the, uh, the, the, the master in human intelligence, and we were both just talking about him, and it was awesome to watch body language and people. and Because oh, yeah. these are like 40, the 45 biggest stars in the world at the yep, time. Exactly. Uh, with Michael Jackson and Lionel Richie, kind of the ringleader, and Quincy Jones, and every, from all walks of, I mean, Cindy Lauper to Willie Nelson to Waylon Jennings. It was unbelievable. Yeah. I highly recommend. I think mm-hmm. you, it's one of those yeah. things you'll watch it and you'll, you'll come away with a lot of, you'll, you'll be thinking about it. Okay. Because it's just really, really cool. And the way out. it's done. That's only about an hour, 30, hour 40 minutes. It doesn't take That's long. That's not bad. But very, very good. And if you've seen it, uh, it's getting 97% on Rotten Tomatoes. So I guess other people like it, too, it says right here. But I uh, uh, recommend that if you're looking for something outside of football with the right. football season winding down on Sunday. Yeah, man, you better find some, better find some program in entertainment. Pick, pick a couple of shows. Matter of fact, we'll do that. We'll do that after football season. Ian and I would get together some of the best shows we've seen throughout the years, movies, so you guys will have something entertaining right after football season is over. <laughs> so you don't you go through withdrawal immediately. Yeah. Well, I can't wait for you guys to see it because it's really – it, it spawns so many conversations about oh, the personalities of yeah. these superstars. I mean, these, these are the biggest stars. And it's, it's got to be true that at least one or two of those people did not belong. Like oh. You have that many people. It's like, okay, now there's a certain group of stars in rarefied air here. They're, you know, they're the biggest pop stars in the world. And I guarantee if I looked at that entire roster, it's like the dream team. You know, there'd, be a, there'd be somebody on there that didn't belong. Well, you know, uh, I won't spoil. Like Dan Aykroyd. Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> well, I mean, because it, it does take you a little bit behind of uh, the, the the super agent that helped organize all of that uh, and and get everybody there with the Rolodex. And uh, I mean, it was. I mean, it, it, I had no idea they stayed up all night and did that deal. And of course. A lot of drugs and sold them so Well, no, not really. Oh, you didn't was, see it, E. Yeah, well, You're not going to see the drugs, well, E. They're not going to go into the bathroom with them. Well, but <laughs> like, it, not really. It looked pretty clean. It was the, it was the 80s. Al Jarreau was enjoying some wine. You're, you're, a, ba- you're, a, you're, a, you're a baby of the 80s? I'm a baby You know the 80s. the 80s was mostly fueled by cocaine? You realize that, right? I do know that. I was, I was a teenager <laughs> in the 80s. Exactly. I was 13 You know all these weird plots to these movies and weird songs? They all yeah, came from uh, cocaine-infused uh, I'm creativity. I'm sure there was some of that going on. But uh, <laughs> and Al Jarreau was into the wine, that's for sure, yeah, they, which they, was cool. They were having some fun. Bob Dylan didn't belong, for sure. But it was, you, you got to go out. It was really good. good I bet good it was stuff. really good. I'm going to check that out. Yeah. Greatest uh, night in pop, you said? The greatest night in pop. Greatest night it. in it's pop. It's pretty high up all on right. the, uh, I'll check it out. the Netflix ratings right now. But, yeah, you'll be – You'll learn. You'll you'll come out with a huge respect for Lionel Richie if you didn't already have one. Yeah, Lionel Richie was key in that. I oh, remember man. that. Yeah, he, he was key in organizing. He was hurting cats, is what he was doing. He was pretty incredible with, and, with, with but, those egos too. And what you don't know is that uh, Lionel Richie, the night before, hosted the American Music Awards. Oh. So while he was hosting the American Music Awards and planning for it, he was in charge of putting this whole mm-hmm. thing together uh, with Quincy Jones and Michael Jackson, and um, you know pulled it all off. And you know just he he was the glue to the whole thing, which is pretty incredible. Yeah, uh, it's good. Good. I would highly recommend if you're looking for something into the football weekend or after the football weekend wraps up. Uh, but we got a lot to talk about. Let's get to the headlines, top stories uh, to get us going. It starts with Texas football. Top Gun Rentals and Lawn Equipment bring you the top stories each hour. And of our first three here on Hook 'em Up, we'll start with college football national signing day. Uh, much like any other Wednesday on the 40 acres yesterday, uh, no new additions for the 2024 signing class announced by Steve Sarkeesian yesterday. But Coach Sark still had a lengthy signing day news conference and provided really an overview of his rising program. He once again highlighted the 22 high school recruits the program added during the early signing period, as well as eight transfer players that have joined the program as part of an acquisition class that is ranked sixth nationally in the 24-7 sports composite team ratings. On the topic of recruiting, Coach Sark addressed the program's ever-evolving recruiting department. Uh, longtime staffer Brandon Harris has been promoted to the role of general manager. John Michael Jones, now the new director of player personnel. Taylor Searles, now the director of recruiting. And Kendall Perry, director of recruiting operations. Coach Sark also spoke for the first time about the hiring of a new, his new defensive assistant coaches, Johnny Nansen and Kenny Baker. Nansen, now the co-defensive coordinator, will also coach inside linebackers. Baker now in charge of the defensive lineman coming in from the Miami Dolphins. He also applauded quarterback Quinn Ewer's decision to return to school and reaffirmed that the 22-game starter remains above Arch Manning on the depth chart. He is the team starter as they begin the mission to build on last season's conference championship and trip to the college football playoff. We came here, I came here, like I said before, I didn't come here just to be a head coach again. I I didn't come here to uh, say that I'm the head coach at the University of Texas. Like, I came here to win a championship, and then if I can get one, I want to get two. And I'm borderline obsessed with it at this point. Um, I know what it tasted like last year. I know how close we were, and I couldn't wait to get back. And, and, And hopefully... 
that's what our team really starts to exude is this obsession with being the best. Good stuff right there. Texas Spring Football will open March 19th, wrap up with the spring game April 20th. Programs on campus pro day for NFL hopefuls is coming up on March 20th. Um, March 19th, where the day after spring practice opens, by the way. Elsewhere in college football, following his surprising retirement back in January, Nick Saban has found a new gig. Seven-time national championship winning head coach will join ESPN's College Game Day as an analyst, according to the Four Letter Network. Saban will also make appearances on other ESPN programming, including the NFL Draft and SEC Media Days later this year. In the NFL, Cowboys cast in a large net in search of their new defensive coordinator to replace Dan Quinn. Word late yesterday that the New York Jets safety Marquand Manuel is scheduled to interview for the job today. On Monday, the team interviewed former Commanders and Panthers head coach Ron Rivera, as well as current defensive line coach Aiden Durd. Team has also met with former Vikings head coach Mike Zimmer and former Jets head coach Rex Ryan. NBA in the NBA, as we mentioned, league's trade deadline is set for this afternoon, two o'clock. Trades have to be in. One score from last night: Spurs lost in Miami, one sixteen, one hundred four. All right, I, I tell you, um, starting to get excited about the Super Bowl. We're going to spend most of the day breaking down the Super Bowl, and then we'll also hear from Sark. Um, but Sark, I love that quote. I'm borderline obsessed. Borderline, borderline obsessed. obsessed with winning a title. He said, I want two. He I, went Jim, one, he went, I want another. He went Jim Harbaugh up there. He said, we're going to try to win multiple uh, championships. I think Longhorn fans, they're uh, happy to hear that. And, you know, you're ahead of schedule. You got, you got really close this year. And I think a lot of people thought this would be the year you win a Big 12, but not necessarily compete for a national title. Competed for a national title, you do return all your coordinators and your starting quarterback. Not a lot of teams around the country have that kind of continuity returning. I told you yesterday, you look at Bill Connolly's uh, returning production uh, stat. He's got Texas returning 70% of their returning production from last season. That's a pretty good number considering the losses we've seen. Um, they've had dramatic losses in the passing game, um, more of the receiving game, I should say, from the receivers with J.T. Sanders, X-Man A.D. Mitchell, and Jay Witt. Hell, even Jay Brooks, obviously, uh, going to the NFL draft. A lot of guys going early are exhausting their eligibility. So it does look – and, by the way, I think this is important, too. We don't talk about it enough. Four of the five offensive linemen returning. That is big. That's huge. We don't talk about that enough. Between the four of the five offensive linemen returning and your starting quarterback returning – you know, that is your – that's your nucleus right there. Um, and not a lot of teams around the country. I'm going to do some research find out how many return starting quarterback and most of their offensive line. And, and I think we start looking at that, and then you cross-reference that kind of just suppose with the top teams in college football. And I think Georgia and Texas in terms of top teams who are competing, who return quarterback, all their coordinators, and return a bulk of uh, their offensive line, I mean – Texas right up there with the best teams in the country, or at least the most optimistic views for yeah. the best teams in the country. 100%. And, you know, four of the five starters and the one starter not returning, you feel good about whoever's going to win that job at right tackle. Exactly. Because uh, you've got four re- returning starters and then four to five more that have played a lot of football. Uh, so you're like nine or ten deep on the offensive line. Pretty which, much. Man, that haven't is – Haven't been that deep since, what, mid-2000s? Oh, gosh, I don't mid, know. Mid two, I was in mid-2000s you were you – were, you were around. You were deep like that, where you had there was second string guys. We knew they were behind the starters. We knew we play in the NFL. Yeah, we're like no, that guy's gonna play in the league. Just, well, as long as he gets uh, season under his belt, he's gonna be an NFL guy. Well, yeah, and and you you bring what's coming back with a five star kid, Brandon Baker from uh, Modern Day High School. Yeah, a high. I mean, one of the high end programs in the country in high school. Walking in here, you know, if he's anything like the prodigy of Kelvin Banks, he's gonna compete for a job real quick. But Sark mentioned. You know, Sark said that. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. 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 So th- there's a lot of talent on the offensive line and at quarterback. And I, you know, that made the national headlines of uh, Steve Sarkeesian declaring Archman and Archmanning the backup, of course, and Quinn Ewers to start. Not surprising anybody that follows the program. But anytime Arch Manning is mentioned, you know, the immediate, oh, when's he jumping in the portal? He's not the starter. Because again, there's kind of an assumption that there's no way Arch Manning's going to sit for two two years. years. Even yeah. though every every indication is that he's ready to he's sit for two years, yeah, he might not sit for that third. Now I would no. say that now. you ain't, no, no, <laughs> you ain't gonna no, get no, him no, sit no. for a third somehow. No so, I don't know how. See that that would be that that be to me kind of worst case scenario because that's just not going some wood here. Uh, if something happens to Quinn and he goes down like for half the season, which by the way his big test this year is to make it through a season healthy. His big test this year that's why the offensive line is key. The big test for Quinn this year is to make it through a season healthy. The NFL wants to see him put on some mass, some bulk. So he can take some of those hits. They want to see him be a smarter runner, too. Don't try to run over linebackers, stuff like that. Um, but he's got to show some more durability. He's got to show the ability to be able to make it through an entire season to play, whether it's hurt or banged up, and still be productive. I think he can do that. I think he'll show that. Um, that's gonna be, but if he, let's say he does have some kind of injury or something, doesn't make it through the season, Arch ends up playing, and then he gets a red shirt to come back. 
That could be a problem. That could be a problem. <laughs> First world problem. Still a problem. Hey, but, uh, <laughs> well, as far as problems go, the Longhorns don't appear to have many, uh, and that's a really, really good thing. Sark is organizing his front office. He's, you know, replaced two coaches, but he also, you know, talked openly about how excited he is to have the continuity on his coaching mm-hmm. staff where, you know, his offensive and defensive coordinator, his, you know, chief special teams coordinator, Jeff Banks. I mean, and he did say late in the press conference, it was 45 minutes long yesterday, right? I mean, he was waxing, poetically. He, he was, was going. <laughs> he was going. He, you can tell he's excited and didn't want, you know, to, to overview what's going on. But he mm-hmm. talked to me. He said at one point every coach on his staff was offered a job, essentially. He said, he said pretty much every coach on my staff had, had offers to go mm-hmm. somewhere else. And, yeah, I mean, obviously Jeff Choate took the job at Nevada and um, – Bo Davis went back to his alma mater at LSU, but everyone else stayed to be a part of it, which, I mean, you can kind of guess who was offered what and where. But, and, and he said that's both college jobs and the NFL. Secondary coaches, too. I, that's what he said. <laughs> now, he did put the caveat as pretty much. Yeah. Uh, or I would I, bet or something like that. I understand what he said because D-line, they were awesome. The, your front seven, awesome. Uh, your O-line, been great. Offense, great. Receivers were great. Tight ends, great. The only part of your, your – uh, your blueprint that underachieved was a weakness was your secondary. So I wonder if he if he just decided ah I most of most of them were offered a, a job. I just don't know where they would have gotten offered a job because the secondary hasn't excelled yet since Sark has been here really. Yeah. Now, every yeah, every that other needs part to be the next phase. Every right? other part of the the team has pretty much gotten to the point where you can see the progress and you've seen them excel. Offensive line, wide receiver, quarterback, running back, right, tight end. D-line last year was amazing. Um, linebackers were really good. That's why Jeff Cho gets the job. Secondary, I'll admit, trust me, I'm a DB, so I, I pay attention to them. They haven't yet, of all those position groups, I don't know if they've excelled yet on the start just yet. Not yet. Not and... yet. I think we're, but I will say this, the last, I will say the last element of roster construction for Sark is the secondary. Yeah, that's pretty obvious, too. Look at this last recruiting class. Got six DBs in that recruiting class. Seems like that was one of the last phases of roster construction. So maybe that's when you'll start to see that group this season take a leap forward because you got Makuba coming in. You got Jade Barron coming back. That's a veteran group now. If that group is not a strength this year, it definitely shouldn't be a weakness. If it's well, a liability, we got a problem. Yeah, and and Sark was asked, uh, you know, you do have a lot of good things going for. What were your, mo- your main? What are your main concerns? And he talked about the complacency word, right? You know, yeah. complacency is poison. You can't let it, you know, and that's why you heard that cut with him talking about borderline obsessed. He wants that to bleed through everybody, mm-hmm. that uh, there is no complacency. We haven't accomplished anything. Uh, the whole idea of turning the page. Last year's team is last year's team. This is this year's team. What are you going to be uh, is the question. Yep. But, but as far as specific things he's concerned about, it's the two things, the thing you just said, he talked about the defensive back end and getting that sorted out, getting the right guys on the field. Now with the uh, addition of Andrew McCubbuck from Clemson and how yep. he's kind of, kind of fit in and, and rolled right in here with his you know, high school friend, Jujette Barron. And he also mentioned the, the rapport between Quinn Ewers and the receivers. It's something we've talked about. Uh, that chemistry – that uh, only comes with reps. It only comes with time. Yep. And uh, as you said, also something Sark said yesterday, that Quinn Ewers has to become the leader in the face of this program. It's got to be his team. It's got to be his team, and, and meaning we can only practice so many, get so many reps during our, our allowed practices. Uh, Quinn, you got the keys to the facility. If you want to go down there and throw, throw passes with Matthew Golden and Isaiah Bond and uh, Silas Bolden and the rest of these guys, exactly right. go on in there. It's all yours. You're, you got the keys, as you've always said about yeah. the quarterback. They do, and it's, that's, I think – you know, Quinn is probably looking forward to that, uh, you know, that responsibility because last year's team, you know, it wasn't Quinn's team. That was more about the skill, talent around Quinn. I think the theme for this year will be can Quinn uplift the talent around him, right? Uh, last season it was more about the talent uplifting the play of Quinn Ewers, right? You got Jonathan Brooks with a Doak Walker Award. Uh, finalists. You got JT Sanders, second best tight end in college football. Uh, if you're looking at draft prospects and uh, as a as a draft prospect, um, if you're looking at the wide receivers, X Men, you bring in AD Mitchell, right? The guy they got double digit touchdowns. Jay Witt and some of the the torch bearer, uh, the culture bearer, uh, Jay Witt. It was all more about those guys uplifting Quinn Ewers, and I think this year needs to be about Quinn. Um, really kind of uplifting and, and maximizing the play of those around him. And that's what I can't wait to see. And honestly, all that work, we won't see any of it. If it, the work that's going to be done for Quinn and these wide receivers, we won't see any of it because it needs to be done in the offseason and before they even get to spring. Uh, there needs to be just a little bit of that chemistry already developed. You can't, you can't really develop it until you get into the games because, you know, that's when the, the reps matter the most. But you can start to get in the timing. 
right? Every quarterback likes their routes run a certain way. I was actually doing some Super Bowl research, and I think it was Marquez Vadas Scantling. He was talking about with his difference between Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes. He's like Patrick Mahomes. He's more of a freestyle uh, quarterback. Like he likes us to just get open. <laughs> he's more of a playground quarterback. Get open, find an open spot. I will find you. You need to find the open spot. And he said Aaron Rodgers was much more uh, meticulous in how he wanted his route. I want my route run this depth. I need this time. I want the break at this point. And he was very, very detailed-oriented about how he wanted his routes. And not that Patrick Mahomes isn't detail-oriented, but Patrick Mahomes wants you to get open. He said Patrick Mahomes wants us to find the soft spot, and he will. And that's why you go look at Travis Kelsey's routes. Travis Kelsey doesn't run a route. He ain't had a. There's no hard angle in any of his routes. He's just like the freestyling and trying to find a void somewhere in the defense. And because the chemistry with he and Patrick Mahomes is so good. Bam, it automatically, it automatically found it. Yeah, yeah, every time. So I think that's why, that's what you're trying to find. You're not going to get, obviously, Travis Kelsey, Patrick Mahomes type chemistry. But you're trying to get that, that timing down, um, the specificity of what my quarterback likes when I run this route and that route. And uh, that takes some time. And they, but they got time. They got months in the offseason to figure that out. Yeah, plenty of time. And obviously, you won't find the culmination of that until game days. And, yeah. Uh, um, you know, what it all plays out to be. But a lot of sound from Sark throughout the course of the morning. Uh, um, let's see. P- Patrick, can we hear number 11 on the rundown sheet? Because that's on the topic of Quinn and Arch and the quarterbacks. And mm-hmm. uh, obviously uh, it, a lot of quarterbacks. You got, yeah, I was li- listening to the press conference yesterday. Brandon Harris, the new general manager, was a quarterback. Sark's a quarterback. They're talking quarterbacks. Quarterback-centric. Quarterback-centric. Yeah. Uh, Got to be. Uh, yep. And he said that's one of the things with Brandon Harris who's risen. Tom, Brandon Harris was in with uh, with the uh, – you know Tom Herman uh, regime, mm-hmm. and uh, he said he and he and Brandon Sark did that they just hit it off. They, they bonded, yeah. Yeah, as quarterbacks, they kind of see the game the same, uh, they see talent the same, and character, and all these things, and so that's why he's risen and is now the team's general manager. But here is uh, Sark talking about his QBs, Arch Manning and Quinn Ewers. Yeah, no, I, I think it was big for Quinn. Um, you know, I, I think pretty easy to see from the naked eye the development that Quinn made from year one to year two. Uh, I don't think that Quinn was was a finished product yet, um, and I think there's there's plenty of room for for growth and improvement in in development in his game going into year three, and I think naturally, you, you know, when you turn on, um, you know, you get into the college football playoff and you, and you look at the team that beat us, that was a six year senior quarterback, right? That that played at a really high level in that game, and so. Um, I do think his experience, his maturity are all going to be things that he can benefit from. We're going to need his leadership, right? We've got, we've got some new faces on the offensive side of the ball, especially at the skill positions, uh, where his leadership is going to be very important. Um, and assuming the real face of, of Longhorn football, right, for, for a year where we lost a lot of the faces, right? A lot of the faces, a lot of the names we've been talking about for, for a few years now have moved on. And, and so now, you know, him, him kind of taking those reins and, and, and understanding what that is is going to be big. I think for Arch is continuing on the path that he's been on. Uh, I've I referenced it last year, kind of middle of the season, about the growth that he really started to take there in the second half of the season, all the way up until the you know, the, the the Sugar Bowl there. So, um, again, my my idea, especially at the quarterback position, I just don't want to hurry up and get a guy on the field. I want to make sure when he gets on the field that he plays great football, and that's a little easier to do. As you start to move and you get into year four of your program, as opposed to year one, and you're just trying to get the best guy out there to give yourself a chance. Uh, but I think Arch has got an extremely bright future. Uh, we're very fortunate to to uh, to have him on our roster. He's got great leadership skills, got a great skill set. So um, those two guys are going to be big for us next fall. So the job is not open, right? No, Quinn Quinn's our starter. There it is. <laughs> uh, Quinn's the starter. Yeah. <laughs> You got to make sure you got that confirmed for the national media. Because the national media, if you don't say it specifically, then they're going to run with the Arch Manning narrative. So I'm glad he did that. I think that's why he did it, too, because he's like, these people, I mean, nationally, they keep bringing this up. Because <laughs> well, they just Arch assume that Arch is going to beat them out. And if yeah. he does, then he's going to leave. <laughs> it, exactly. That is the narrative nationally, but obviously locally we know that's not the case at all. So I think Sarkis wanted to put that out there for the national media. No, no, Quinn's the starter. Quinn's the starter. Arch is the backup. Um, but, you know, I think for – and I, I hate to say it, keep bringing it up. Listen, guys, most of the time in the last 20, oh, 24, 25 years, going all the way back to like 1999 and 2000 when Robbie first came on campus, you've needed two quarterbacks more than you've had a single starter 
play every game throughout the season. Matter of fact, I want to say that's only been like six or seven times in the last 24 years where you've had one starter the entire season. It just doesn't happen. It, whether it be performance or whether it be because of injury or whatever. It just doesn't – you don't see one guy start every game. That'll be, I think, the challenge for Quinn. Can he play, can he play and start every game this season? So look, I mean, Sam Ellinger, I mean, he had, what, one season where he started every game? Yep, uh, and man, he started, was bam, bam, Sam. Started and finished every game. I mean, you know, VY because of competition, Chris Sims and Major because of competition. You really, it, It's rare. I know we, we, we assume in our head, like, oh, man, the guy got to start every game. Most of the time the, you, you need that backup quarterback for whatever reason, performance or injury or, or something else. So Arch is going to have the, – the, the odds say and history says that he's going to have to play. That's what the odds in history say. And probably some pretty significant yes. reps, just like Malik Murphy did yes, last year exactly. in, uh, in, in, in two games for, for Quinn to help you win a Big 12 championship. Also help you win the Houston game when Arch got hurt or yep. when Quinn got hurt. So, that's exactly right. Oh, man. We hope that's not the case. I'm not going to sue him. But, yeah, but just, uh, at all levels. <laughs> at all yes, levels. exactly. And at all too. levels. you got to have two yeah. quarterbacks and sometimes three. Uh, we will certainly talk about it. We'll hear more from Sark. It was a long and uh, really, you know, conversation starting press conference yesterday talking about a lot of things within the program, kind of a deep dive into what uh, Sark is thinking and where they're going. We'll, we'll hear more of that coming up behind the burn orange curtain. Also, more on the Super Bowl. And, gosh, just another piece of evidence coming in, Rod, that uh, oh, yeah. uh, the 49ers remain the favorite, yet the Chiefs seem like the pick. We'll talk about it more coming up. Hook them up with Ian Rodby. Patrick Davis uh, producing our show this morning back at the Horn headquarters. Rod yes, and I are live in the uh, South Austin Onion Creek compound, bringing it live and uh, talking all things Texas football, Super Bowl. Mm. Also, I mentioned off the top of the show, I watched The Greatest Night in Pop last night on Netflix and uh, really, really recommend it. A lot of folks on the text line have already jumped in uh, with their opinions and uh, all agreement. Uh, our man CB says, I agree, The Greatest Night in Pop was awesome. Uh, really good, uh, easy watch, nice. which you'll, uh, I don't know, it's just one of those you come away watch, and thinking about it, man, this, it you know, rattles around in your head afterwards of just all those superstars together for one night trying to collaborate and make it work. You get Personality mm-hmm. studies are certainly in there. Uh, because you, when you think about it, you got guys like Paul Simon and Bob Dylan who are just, they're just such loners. They're yeah, just yeah. being mm-hmm. on their own, and they're yep. trying to, they kind of don't fit in with these su- huge superstars. And then uh, even the superstars, Stevie Wonder and, Michael Jackson and Ray Charles was there, cracking yeah, jokes. I know. <laughs> Willie Nelson, of course, was there. And I will tease one thing that's going to be a spoiler, but uh, Willie ne- Waylon Jennings was, was there and then said, I'm out of here. You just left? Walked out. Why? Because it was too long? Taking too long? Because well, this will be a bit of a spoiler. I don't, but Because but, Stevie Wonder started talking, trying to change the words and started singing Swahili. And Will, <laughs> Waylon Jennings was like, I'm out. He's like, I'm I done. don't speak Swahili. I'm done with that. Can't do it. <laughs> I don't even remember that part of the We Are the World. How long? It, it never made it in. It never made it in. Okay. Because that's because that. So he was right then. He's like, ah, we should, yeah, we should have that in there. Because that was the hurting kick. Because Quincy Jones is trying to, guys, we're not changing the words. We're not doing that. We're here to record it. The word, the song is written. The song is written already. <laughs> we're here to get this on tape, and we got one chance at this thing, or it's not going to happen to get all these people together. Uh, one wow. time, and it was it, it's pretty well done. You'll 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 enjoy it. I promise. Hey, so that's out there. We've got this too, Rod. As we've talked all since the since the Super Bowl was uh, decided, like who was going to play in this game, Chiefs Niners. You you came in Monday morning after the championship Sunday, saying I'll never bet against Patrick Mahomes ever again. It's hard to do. I think that, we man. all agree. And yet the Niners continue to be a two and a half point favorite in the game. But another piece of evidence: the Madden NFL video game has predicted that the Chiefs. We'll beat the Niners 30-28 to 28 in the Super Bowl. Like said, so now the video game is in. I won't pick against them, man. <laughs> I, like I said, I, I, if I have to pick against Patrick Mahomes, I probably just won't make a pick. Because picking against Patrick Mahomes is not smart. I mean, every time you do it, I looks foolish. It looks foolish. It, just, it looks foolish. And then when you break it down, after you're like, that was foolish. Why didn't I pick? He's the best quarterback, and I got the better coach. Well, the, the, usually in football matchups, my first two factors in making a pick is going to be who's the better quarterback, who has the better head coach. Mm-hmm. They yeah. got, I mean, the Kansas Chiefs have the better quarterback, 
And I love Shannon. I think Shannon's awesome. I think Shannon one day will be a championship coach, but he's not right now. Andy Reid's got a got one got a couple already. Yeah, and he's. I mean, if if the Chiefs win this game, I mean, think about the rarefied air that uh, Andy Reid joins with a third Super Bowl championship. Oh yeah. I mean, you're you're pushing your legendary stage. He's already a Hall of Famer without a doubt, but you're you start talking the Tom Landry's and Chuck Knowles of the world. You start pulling into that category, which is you know Bill Walsh, that kind of stuff, which is pretty amazing. Can, can I ask you something about the We Are the World thing? Because now you got me on this We Are the sure. World stuff. Why wasn't Prince in it? Uh, that it's all in there. They talk about Prince, Prince? was absolutely invited. Oh, okay. Prince was, was absolutely. That was always invited. one of the big questions. Like, man, Prince. If you're talking about just icons and stuff, how did Prince not make it? He, how do you get? He, how do you get like uh, who's a? He, he did. He decided against. Okay, there you go. That makes sense because Prince doesn't like. Remember, he changed his name to a symbol once because he was in a dispute with the record company. It's and there's because Sheila E's in it too, and she. But that, she doesn't belong in there. Well, you got to watch it. And you'll see what I'm talking that, about. I, now looking back on it, the the, the cast of singers, eh, like I said, that was a that, that was a drop. There's some people that didn't belong. Sure, but they wanted everybody from that, all cross sections and all walks of. Uh, that's why Dan Aykroyd made it. You know, but he was a big star at the time. He was, he was, he was a Blues Brothers. Brothers. Yeah, he was Blues Brothers and uh, was Ghostbusters. Jeffrey Osborne, anybody? I don't know. Exactly. I, 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 <laughs> I'm surprised Prince didn't send Morris Day. That's normally, uh, what, that's normally what, Morris, what Prince would do is be like, you get Morris Day. Morris Day is, is people's Prince. I, I don't, I, I'm by myself. Well, I'll just, again, I don't hate to spoil the thing. but uh, it's Damn, a, Kenny Loggins made it? Yeah, well, Kenny Loggins <laughs> plays a pretty good role, too. No, I know he does, but I, I think we, I mean, come on. You're talking about iconic, all-time great, uh, iconic brands well, and sure, music, but he, and you got you Kenny think, Loggins you got to think there? 1985, though, and we've talked about Kenny Loggins with his oh, Top Gun Top Gun, and all yeah. the Caddyshack and all. I mean, he was a huge pop star at the time. Uh, Huey Lewis plays a big role, and Huey Lewis is a great character in that. Uh, you, from Huey Lewis in the news. I mean, it's a really, but but the Prince thing is a really cool subplot to it because okay. uh, at some. No, well, I'm not going to spoil. It. You go. That was what I live. I'm just like I, I just. But but, but I, Prince, because remember, the, if you're just tuning in, the, how did Latoya make it and not Janet? That that's never addressed. That's never, and you don't think you're maybe ever Janet really was see, too young. Then. You don't ever really see Latoya. Why is Latoya Janet? even in there? I, I don't even remember. I don't even remember seeing her. Yeah. Because Michael's there, of course. Her brother's there, and Michael's kind and, of one of the ringleaders. Yeah. Um, and you know, helped Lionel Richie write the song, but um. So, again, the night before they recorded this and then stayed up all night and recorded We Are the World, it was uh, the American Music Awards. And in that, Michael Jordan and, and Prince were the – or Michael Jordan. Michael Jackson and yeah. Prince were the two people up for all the big awards. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah, because Prince. It's I mean, Prince. It's Prince, Purple Rain. Yeah. So, and uh, so yeah, and Sheila E. was there. But, you know, you'll, you'll see. You got this, there's so many little subplots. You're like, oh, man, I didn't know that. That's really cool. Yeah. Uh, just the, the nuances of these super egos and superstars and – uh, trying to collaborate and come together. It was really well done. All right, so that is uh, on Netflix if you're looking for it. We got the Super Bowl on CBS on Sunday it's at 5.30 our time. Got the NBA trade deadline coming up. Uh, we're going to go behind the burn orange curtain right now. Rod's got more with Coach Sark from yesterday's uh, festivities and press conference down on the 40 Acres. And they were all asking themselves the same question. Hey, um, sorry, Patrick, let's go what five. Is behind that curtain? <laughs> All right, let's go behind the burnt orange curtain here. I think every uh, Longhorn fan was really excited to hear from Sark yesterday. I think Sark was really excited to talk to Longhorn Nation. <laughs> uh, turns out Sark wanted to get some stuff off his chest. Uh, no, we appreciate that about Sark. I've said before that, you know, I've been here covering Texas football, you know, since Mac and then through, you know, Charlie and then through Tom Herman. None of those guys, and God bless Mac. Mac was awesome. Um, but none of those guys were as forthcoming and really authentic as Sark is in his press conference. He gives you a lot of information, probably too much information sometimes. Uh, you know, Mac would hold court. Mac would basically try to filibuster press conferences because he didn't want to answer questions, and he did a great job of it. Charlie Strong just, you know, obviously wasn't very open at press conferences. He's just not that kind of guy. He's more of a, a straight-up football coach. Tom Herman, Mensa meathead. He thought he was smarter than everybody else at the press conferences. Uh, so I think for Sark, though, it, it is refreshing for Longhorn fans to hear Sark open up at these media availabilities and give you so much good information, like this media information. Uh, so first thing, obviously, about uh, yesterday's media availability for Sark were the changes within the recruiting department. They now officially have a general manager. That is Brandon Harris. Um, here is Sark when he was talking about the recruitment department changes overall um, and all of the uh, different promotions that they've had and what it means. Yeah, you know, we made some we made some kind of adjustments in our recruiting department. Um, 
like I said, you have to be adaptable in this day and age of, of college football. And uh, I, I think now more than ever, we've got to make sure that, that we've got a strong foundation in place in that department. Uh, so to promote Brandon Harris to general manager, John Michael Jones to director of player personnel, Taylor Searles to director of recruiting, and Kendall Perry to director of recruiting operations, I think keeps the foundation of our recruiting department where it needs to be. Um, and we're probably not going to be done in that department, just so you all know. There's probably going to be a couple more additions uh, to that department. I think now more than ever, because of high school recruiting, the portal recruiting, the relationships we need to have uh, with the families uh, is critical. But couldn't be more excited for, for those four. Uh, and what they've given to the program and their time here and the, the opportunity to reward them, I think, is, is the way I would love to hire. I would love to hire from within. I, I think that that's given people an opportunity for growth in your program, and, and all of them have, have definitely done that. So. Right, so there you go. Start talking about the changes. I think he's his changes in his recruitment, recruiting department, I think he's just trying to get those to reflect the ever-changing landscape of college football. He doesn't want to get behind. He's like, no, if he keeps changing like this, then we have to evolve. And part of that evolution was now they have an actual general manager. And he was asked, and I'm glad he was, all right, what does the uh, general manager role mean at the University of Texas? Sure. Well, I, I think one thing, you know, when, when I came on board, Brandon was, I, I believe, like an offensive analyst. And – you know, you're trying to assess the current staff. You're trying to assess who we're bringing in. And Brandon and I just kind of hit it off. I don't know if it was the quarterbacks in us. You know, we were kind of speaking the same language. Um, uh, his, his perception of players uh, I thought was, was very impressive for a young guy. His perception of character I thought was very impressive for a young guy. Um, you know, his, his ability to communicate I thought was was really incredible, and it was a guy that we've just grown. Our relationship has grown over three years now, um, and so I felt like the time was right for him to assume this role. Uh, I, I think so many times in football, in college football, used to always be director of player personnel, and that's fair, and that's what John Michael got elevated to that role. When you're really assessing talent, looking at talent, looking at your roster and things of that nature, but a general manager is so much more now. Uh, when, you, when you start talking about transfer portal, you start talking about NIL, you start talking about you know, relationships with players, you start talking about r really managing the roster at a little bit of a higher level. I wanted to make sure that I had somebody in that role that, that I was connected to on, a, on another level. And I think my time with Brandon has allowed me to do that. I think he thinks a lot like me, which is important. Um, as much as you know, I, I, I try to you know, kind of oversee it all. I want to make sure if I can't be in a meeting that, that somebody's thinking and speaking on my behalf that is on the same wavelength as me. And uh, I just couldn't be more excited. I, I think he's a, a rock star in our profession. Um, and he's going, to be, he's going to be in high level roles for a long time. A rock star in our profession. And I told you guys yesterday, he was offered a job by Sean McVay a couple of years ago as an assistant quarterback job and turned down that offer. Uh, that kind of goes back to what Sark is talking about, you know, with him being a guy that's on a meteoric rise um, through the, uh, the coaching ranks. And I think at one point he started out, maybe he never wanted to go into coaching. Maybe he wants to be a front office guy. I thought maybe that's why he turned down Sean McVay because you don't turn down a Sean McVay job because that'll put you on a, a fast track to being a, a head coach one day. And maybe he turned it down because he wants to be in the front office yeah, instead of being an like assistant coach. When we talk about Brandon Harris, he's only 28 years old. That's what I'm saying. He's got time to do both, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's a very young young guy because he came straight out of uh, you know playing quarterback at North mm -hmm. Carolina and, and LSU straight into coaching. Yeah, at you know 21 years old, so yeah. 22 years old. So he's only 28, and he's already the GM here for the for the Long yeah. the Longhorns. Oh, that'd be good. He's got to be one of the youngest GMs. And then he, he's probably I know college is a little different, but. I mean, 28 as a GM is... It looks good on your resume. It looks really good uh, At that age. And I would say this about Sark. And Sark mentioned, look, I mean, again, if you do the work flow chart, Sark's on top of it, and he reports to CDC, who's his boss. But, you know, Brandon Harris is now in charge of player acquisition, right, and roster building. And uh, as he said, we see football the same. And he said he actually specifically, I don't know if he, he just, if I heard it or it, he said it at another point, 
He said, I can't be at all these meetings. He said, he said, he's standing okay, there. Yeah. He said, I need somebody yeah. to represent me. Yeah, so. Yeah. That thinks like me. Thinks like me. And then, yeah. and then, so, you know, he, he runs that department and then checks back with Sark and then is, is Sark's voice in that department. Uh, and then you've got, obviously, your digital division that does all your social media and digital stuff. They're working in conjunction with the recruiting staffers to make sure the digital's on point. And Sark's running the, the football operation along with uh, – I know the scouts, and because they've got analysts that are looking at mm-hmm. advanced scouting and uh, you know scouting these players for the portal and all those kind of things. I mean, it's it's uh, it's it's a big operation, safe to say. And one person, Steve Sarkeesian, can't do it all of it. I mean, no. you just can't. You have to have people you trust at the head of these departments, and they report back to the boss. I was hoping somebody would ask him about uh, was it John Michael Jones? Is his name? Yes. That, uh, who's, who's now? I think he's now taking on the role that Billy Glasscock had, mm-hmm. and Brown Harris has been promoted to the GM. I wanted somebody to ask him. How did he, how did he stay? How when did you guys decide to bring him back from the previous regime? Because as you point out, he's been there like what eight nine years or something like that. He's been there through multiple. That's what Bobby Burton had told me. Okay. Uh, the, the, he, I would love to know exactly what the process is there. Did you just see him and say, hey, "No, no, we're keeping this guy. He's great," or did he reapply and then you brought him back on the staff? That kind of thing. I want I want that's detail that really doesn't matter, but I'm just curious yeah, about that. Curious, curiosity. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's good stuff. That's like that. That's your. That's a huge department right now with all the things that are happening in college football. It's got to get everybody's talent acquisition department has to expand, grow, and evolve right now. Because right now, talent acquisition has never been this uh, chaotic in college football. You should just have traditional recruiting. Now you got organic traditional recruiting, and you got the transfer portal. You got grad transfers, and then not only that, you got to keep track of your guys who also are transferring. And how that affects your roster construction. It's just, it's a, I, I see why the GM is needed. Yeah, you do. Well, <laughs> and there's also, I mean, he saw, talked yesterday about player, uh, you know, your current roster player relations. You got mm-hmm. to have people making yes. sure you're checking in with your team. Yep. Uh, and making, hey, you know, if someone's disgruntled a little bit, I need to know that, guys. Before it spreads. Yeah, I, I need. Uh, yeah. You guys are my ears. Yep. Uh, if somebody's frustrated with X, Y, and Z, having a terrible with their girlfriend or something, I need to know that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and their position coach needs to know that. Those are kind of things that as many highs as you can get because what yeah. you don't want is that, you know, I know it seems like babysitting, but you have to re-recruit your own program year by year. Now you do. And you that's have to be on top of things like that. Yep, and that's, that's a big part of the culture. And we'll hear from Sark talking about that because I thought one of the interesting uh, cuts that uh, that – we have for today is that when Sarks talks about the culture and how they're going to keep the culture positive, constructive, even though they've lost a lot of their culture bearers, a lot of their leadership that really established that culture is going to be gone. You know, who do you have right now that can make sure they're still uh, 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 cultivating that positive culture? So we'll get into that a little bit later. He's got tons of audio, but that, there you go. Start talking about the, the new GM position and the changes in the recruiting department. And uh, as far as Rod said, throughout the morning, a five-hour conversation. We'll hear more from Sark and a deeper dive on the Texas football program on this uh, 8th of February. And we won't uh, probably hear from Sark much between now and March 20th. March 20th there is the opening – actually, March 19th, the opening of spring practice. And as Sark uh, said yesterday, they'll, they'll skip spring break and then start right after yep. and go five straight weeks right through the spring game uh, on April the 20th. We'll come back and uh, pick up these conversations. Some what the facts to get to, uh, more on the Super Bowl, more on uh, the NBA's trade dead line, which is today at 2 o'clock. Hook them up with Ian Rodby. Aaron Hogan, Rod Baker. Austin, Texas. Sports. The Horn. I said upside down, you turn me. You give love instinctively. Round and round, you turn me. Upside down. Boy, you turn me. Hey, by the way, uh, Rod, to your point of prints on the, uh, the show, The Greatest Night in Pop. And yeah. What the Facts segment. I did not know this until you do a deeper dive. I didn't, it didn't mention it in the documentary on Netflix. But the song, you, uh, We Are the World, was the centerpiece, right? And yeah. We won the Grammy for the best song and mm-hmm. raised a lot of money for you know, poverty and, uh, and starving people in, in Ethiopia and in Africa. Uh, but it, it, they put out a full album. Uh, and on side one was We Are the World. But there were also uh, singles done by Steve Perry of Journey the Pointer Sisters, and Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band. And then on the other side, side two, had a song by Prince and the Revolution called Tears Are Not Enough. Wow. Uh, so Prince like, I gave you a song. Leave me alone. And Chicago <laughs> did a song. Uh, Tina Turner did a song. Kenny Rogers and Huey Lewis in the News. And, again, this was oh. all the biggest pop stars of the 1980s, yes, the was. mid-'80s. And all those people were huge at the time. Uh, the, the documentary last night shows that, that I saw that I saw last night. It's been out for a while. Bruce Springsteen actually flew from his final show of his tour in Buffalo 
through bad weather on a jet to get to New- L.A. to be a part of the uh, – Yeah. And he became a, a pretty hmm. critical figure. His voice was shot by early morning when he was the last soloist. <laughs> it was really, really interesting and just uh, really, really recommend that. But I did not know that. They did a full album. I, yeah, I, didn't, I knew they did a full album. I didn't know they had – I didn't know what was on the other side. I don't think anybody – The two did. side two. Two. And that's where Prince was. That's what Prince, Prince was. Prince and the Revolution did a song there. There you go. Nice uh, little factoid. A nice little factoid. That's what What the Facts is all about, Rod. And yes, speaking sir. Speaking of musical facts, on, on Sunday night they had the Grammys, and at the Grammys one of the uh, the cooler moments, maybe the coolest moment outside of Joni Mitchell uh, performing and uh, Billy Joel's first single in 30-plus years, uh, Tracy Chapman came out and did a duet with uh, Luke Combs. That was really cool. A Fast Car. Yeah. Well, Fast Car is about to be the number one streamed song in the world. It's because of that performance? Yes. Wow. Uh, that song is going to be digitally number. I don't Hold know. on, which one though? Uh, her original, I think. Okay, good. Yeah, <laughs> I'm uh, like, it should Tracy be her- Chapman's yeah. fast car went up 241 okay. percent in streams after her Grammy. Yeah, I was going to say it should be the original. Don't be. Uh, I'm, I'm Luke Combs, good for him. But if you want to give some props and you want to, you know, obviously support uh, her- the song, support the original by her. Which, by the way, is better than the Luke Combs version. 100 percent, and it's Luke Combs a- would agree with that too. Yeah, okay. I do he believe. I do believe Luke Combs actually did the good thing and didn't change the lyrics, which means she does make money off of his version, too, because she gets oh, a songwriting credit for right. lyrics. But he could have yeah. changed the lyrics because it was by a, a black lesbian, and he is clearly not a black lesbian. So he could have changed him a little bit to be a little bit more for himself. He didn't, which helps give her the rights, which is a good thing. That is a great thing. Well, and know the key was he kept the word she. Uh, so they, so you could have made it him. I got you. It so it's like, no, I took the song. Yeah, I took it from her. Yeah, verbatim. And, yeah, and she and but her, so she's gonna make a fortune on this. Uh, she, good for she her. Already, and good for her. Yeah, because she it, deserves it. Yeah, her own stream of that song in the eight from the late eighties went up two hundred forty one percent the very next day. Such a magical voice, though. I mean, her voice is amazing. Awesome. Yeah. No, people. I don't think people. People didn't expect that because people lost it. They were excited when she. Because well, we haven't seen her. her. I haven't seen her in decades. Yeah. She doesn't perform really. She no. doesn't make new music anymore. Nope. Yeah, she's one of those artists that basically just she she when she came out she made her uh, her you know impression on the music world and it was quick fast and then she was done. I almost wonder if she had some personal going or whatever, but that's good, good for her. I'm happy about that. Well, and that's again on this greatest night in pop when you see people like Bob Dylan and Paul Simon, you realize they're used to working on their own. Like they're used to being by themselves yeah. when they're making their music. They're not used to big crowds and yeah. all these people. And um, you know, you, they have you a process. See, you see Mr. Insecure Bob Dylan in this uh, documentary. Yeah, because you have these larger than life personalities, and he was never. He was never that kind of outgoing, charismatic personality. He was just a brilliant songwriter. Yeah, it took Stevie Wonder to kind of bring him out of his shit. It was pretty, really pretty cool. But yeah, you see, and that's what Tracy Chapman, right? She's a lot yeah. Of, a lot of these uh, brilliant genius musicians They're pull almost, up in a studio and yeah. just create almost magic. Intro, introverts. Yes, for sure. Extrovert. You think they'd be extrovert, but they're introverts, a lot of them. 100%. What do you have, Rob? What the fact? Uh, best yards per pass attempt um, seasons in NFL history. Do y'all know Brock Purdy has the, the best Ooh. yards per pass attempt? 9.6 yards per pass attempt. That is the highest in NFL history. I didn't know that. I didn't realize that. Uh, Matt Ryan is second. A Shanahan office, by the way, at 9.3. Aaron Rodgers is third in 2011 at 9.2. Also a Shanahan offense. It's crazy, man. Didn't realize that. Didn't realize. And, of course, this week I've been giving you my uh, picks for the, 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 uh, the bets you need to make, Ty. Oh, we can do that. I'm sorry, with Ty on Monday. We can do and this. So I've given you already George Kittle over 49.5 receiving yards uh, based on the numbers. I also gave you Patrick, Patrick Mahomes under 262 passing yards. I would go Patrick Mahomes under on the interceptions potentially. Yep, you gave us that yesterday. A, had thrown an interception in six six playoff games. It's nuts. And that's point uh, what point five. Point Both five. Both he and Brock Purdy are point five. You might want to go. Brock Purdy's definitely going to higher throw. and under. Yeah, he's definitely going to throw an interception. He's thrown like three or four this postseason thrown, alone. Oh yeah, he leads the the postseason interceptions yeah. thrown. He's going to throw one. I think to you. you have to right. And the sticky coverage, as you talked about, of Kansas City, they play play really tight coverage. So I'll, I'll take the over on Brock Purdy's interceptions. I'll take the under on Patrick Mahomes' interceptions. Because he just doesn't make bad decisions. Oh, well, my pick for today in our What the Fact segment is going to be, if you're, if you're jotting these down, uh, is based on uh, our, our, my, my betting buddy Sal. It's yeah. going to be Christian McCaffrey Uh-oh. under five catches. Under uh, five so catches. You, you take any under. Yep. Interesting. Under five catches is going to be, because the numbers would tell you that that's inflated. Because, again, always in these, these big betting opportunities, the public likes to bet overs. They let the bet hires, right, mm-hmm. in these. and uh, But the numbers would tell you, yes, you're just going to think Christian McCaffrey is going to catch six or seven passes. He's probably going to catch three or four 
uh, when it's all said and done. If it, because his average, even in the playoffs, is, is between right. two and four. And the number is five. I would go under Christian McCaffrey total catches. Okay. Like total that. receptions. Um, how about this? Let's talk about Patrick Mahomes as a dog, which is I still – it's still impossible to think about, unfathomable that he is an underdog. He's been underdog in three straight playoff games. Come on. But I, for some reason, we, we still keep looking past uh, Patrick Mahomes and his ability to exceed expectations as an underdog. So how about this? Um, if you look at in the last 20 years, Super Bowl winning quarterbacks are 60-24-2 as an underdog in the playoffs. Uh, those quarterbacks are 25-8 and eight against the spread as a dog before winning the ring. 35-16-2 against the spread. A 69% completion percentage after the ring, including 13-4 and four against the spread since 2018. So usually, you know, you go look at last year's Super Bowl winning quarterbacks. who already won one. That's what you're talking about, Patrick Mahomes. As an underdog in the playoffs, 71% uh, uh, against the spread success rate. So there's a good chance that Patrick Mahomes, if he doesn't win the game, they're going to find a way to stay within that number. What is it, two now? What's two that? and a half? The, the spread. Two and a half. Two and a half? Two and a half. Sharp there money you staying on. Ba- so, and you can get, you know, you, you can buy that point if you need to. You buy it up to three. That might be the best way to go if you want to, you know, buy a half a point. Yeah, if Mahomes closes as an underdog, which he will, it seems like right now, he will have been a dog in four of his last five playoff games. After that 13 game, he was a favorite in 13 straight playoff games prior to that. Um, and now he has been an underdog, and looks like he's going to be an underdog in his fourth straight game. Yeah, it's just wild. Yeah. <laughs> and he keeps winning them. And he keeps winning them. So man, I just I can't bet against that dude as a dog. All right, so we'll keep giving you the uh, the fun props. Cause, and tomorrow on the Friday edition of Hook 'Em Up, we'll have all the real fun props and uh, you know national the Taylor anthem. Swift, Taylor and, Swift props. Yeah, the Taylor Swift. There's a views. bunch of Taylor Swift props. <laughs> I'm sure there yeah. are tons of. Them. Oh, which about is the crazy. Kiss and about her, well, what she's gonna wear, how much red she's gonna wear, as opposed to white. Like it is a lot. Ooh. It is a lot. I, I know there's gonna, the is is Travis Kelsey gonna propose after the game prop bet as well. Yep, that's that's one. one. Yep, yep. If he wins, I think he might. Honestly, I know y'all don't want to hear it, but I think if he wins, he might pull out that Boise State-Oklahoma uh, situation. Remember that dude proposed right on the field afterwards? You might get that from Travis Kills. And if you do, that's going to dominate the post-game conversation. Yeah, well. It'll be, it'll be all the talk. It'll be all the rage. For sure. And the NFL wants that. They do want that. that they, they would love that. Any talk is good talk, as yeah. they say. All right, we'll get to the top of the hour here. We'll come back. We're one hour down of our five-hour Thursday conversation with you on this, the 8th of February. Let me say uh, it is a fact. Happy birthday to my mom. My mom hey. down in uh, H-Town celebrating a birthday, birthday this morning. Mom. She's up and listening, and sometimes she does before she gets to work. That's awesome. Or gets going. But, yeah, she's in her 70s. Right? I don't want to say her full age, but uh, she's <laughs> don't still do working. Uh, the Hogans don't know the word retirement, I'll tell you that. Uh, we'll come <laughs> back and roll on. Happy birthday to mom. And uh, moving forward, uh, we'll pick up these conversations. Rod will have a rant in the next hour. We'll go bullish or BS, and they've got more on uh, Steve Sarkeesian's state of the uh, program press conference he had yesterday. Hook him up with Ian Robbie.